Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Late Late Capitalism Show. This week, I am joined with Dean and Megan, and we're going to talk about the wonders of living in Ontario and Canada. We're going to talk about uh, how lively and vibrant this place is and uh, how it's a great place to grow. And most importantly, stand. most importantly, we're going to shit talk Jesse, who is not here. Uh, so everyone say the thing you like the least about Jesse. Go. Uh, he's bald. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, he's just, he's too good of a friend. What can I say? That's, that's my okay. favorite thing. Right. This isn't a job interview. <laughs> yeah, that was a pussy. Yeah. <laughs> I think my, fav- my least favorite thing about Jesse is that he cares too much. Yeah, uh, I'm too we've already loyal to the sworn workplace. twice, but we are going to swear in this episode, so watch out that's- for that. That's true. Yeah, we we do swear. We forgot to to warn you about that. Uh, this is why we See, need Jesse. This to is do... why we need yeah. Jesse. Exactly. <laughs> he does he the keeps intro. Keeps us on track. Yeah, yeah. Who who'd have thought that it it was it was our friend Jesse who was the the one who kept steering the sh- ship in the right direction. Yeah, he's the glue, man. Yeah. Fuck. Well, we have a, a a breadth of topics to go through today. Um, there's been some very big shakeups in the Ontario and Canadian scene as a whole regarding politics, and I think Megan has a topic to start us off with. If I you do. Don't mind. Who who here likes woodworking? Anyone? <laughs> oh, I when I see a nice piece of wood. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. and, and would you say one of your favorite pieces of furniture? Is a cabinet? It, oh, is this the direction we're taking this? <laughs> <laughs> is, is this? this <laughs> you don't like my intro? Wait, 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 wait. No, I loved your intro. It was really <laughs> good. You. Chance, do uh, you yes, like cabinets? You, you know what, Meg? I, yeah, cabinets are pretty good. Thank you. Yes. So <laughs> the, you need the, me to buff, bust up your chiffa robe. The my biggest chiffa robe. The biggest cabinet of all. The cabinet where all the people that make many decisions about our lives. Um, live is is just it's just gotten a remodel it's just gotten a makeover okay and i am both, here both, this week both to a tell kitchen you cabinet it. both the kitchen cabinet and the governmental cabinet are very similar in that they both contain products owned by companies folks mm. think oh, about that snaps. for a second they both have goya beans <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to rely a lot on a CBC article by Catherine Tunney here. So shouts out to Catherine. Thank you. So to start off, we have our second ever female defense minister. This was one of the bigger news points of this new uh, reshuffling. Um, It's the Oakville MP Anita Anand. Um, Kim Campbell was the first one, you know, the iconic classic girl boss, first Mm -hmm. female prime minister. Go, Kim. But Catherine is quoted here as saying she inherits a tough job as the Canadian Armed Forces continues to battle a sexual misconduct crisis. Multiple high ranking military officers have been moved out of their jobs while facing allegations. Uh, So to respond to this crisis, Anita has said, I will say that my top priority is to make sure that everyone in the armed forces feels safe and protected. This this really puts the media in the the bind, because like, what are you going to do? You're going to hold a woman accountable for all of the rapes? I don't think so. Yeah. Checkmate. Boom. Got so, him. You know, Headshot. not just it is literally obviously terrible what is happening in the Canadian Armed Forces. It's fucked. Um, so, you know, hot take. No more Canadian Armed Forces. That'd be cool. Oh, yeah. Just that is that, that is one that, solution. That, that, that's an easy one. Do you think she's going to come in and say that on her first day? I think that would be cool. I will get get to one later where they did come in and say the most insanely ridiculous thing of all time as soon as they got into their position. But, you know, that's a little surprise for later. So um, in the person that was in that role before is Harjit Sajjan. Um, He's been bumped to the Minister of International Development and the the minister responsible for Pacific Economic Development. Um, There's a lot of combos of this where they're the minister of something and then they're just assigned a part of the country that they have to deal with. Um, (laughs) So that's. That's his his deal now. Oh, um, I got Saskatchewan again. <laughs> um, people have 
push back against Trudeau for keeping Sujan in the cabinet um, due to his mishandling of this crisis. Um, but Trudeau said that he shows leadership uh, and that he rose through the ranks of the military by challenging the old boys culture. Um, so no one can be surprised at the kind of pushback he saw as he was trying to bring about change, which I think seems quite unrelated to what the actual crisis were. It was that there was like a horrible culture of rape and misogyny and mm -hmm. you're just saying you guys are blaming this all on sajan for you know like being not white which i don't think people were well, i think well, this it, is a, an issue that was existing long before he got there and he just didn't handle it well but. like yeah. it's, it's the classic like trudeau playbook and like liberal playbook writ large that it's almost annoying to mention it all the time but all they have to do uh and it seems to work is, you know, gesture at the fact that they have the right collection of identities uh, in XYZ position. And then any, you know, challenge that you have towards the actual material realities that people are facing is moot. Yeah, like mm -hmm. I'm sure that he did face a lot of prejudice um, while he was in the military. But again, I think the but military he's also is just in the an military. insanely corrupt organization <laughs> yeah. that should not be. <laughs> anyway. How but... do you take that on without like, just completely burning it down you know what yeah I mean? so anyway um the new foreign affairs minister is melanie jolie um she said that the vision that we have at canada global or at global affairs is one that takes into the account the very strategic work that canada is doing across the world and will be a mix of humility and audacity which okay <laughs> cool thank you for <laughs> doing audacity. all the work across the world is super positive and awesome um she's taking over from mark garneau uh who is kicked out of cabinet r.i.p mark um and she used part of uh her speech time thanking mark for his role in helping to free the michaels Thank um, you, Mark. <laughs> and you he know, was we love to like live in a world where Marks and Michaels can, can work side by side. I know. You know? <laughs> really bridging that divide. Uh, the new environment and climate change minister has worked with both Greenpeace and Equiterre. So I'm sort of intrigued to see what he will actually do because he has been a climate activist for 30 years and now he is the climate change minister. And like, I, it's just, I feel like it's just going to be quite depressing that we finally have a like, a climate activist in this role but he's not gonna be able to do very much so maybe you know maybe he'll be really cool and awesome and get a lot done yeah but, you know. it would be interesting say. but if trudeau likes him i don't i'm not really holding my breath <laughs> so yeah it's gonna be the same as any other time right like they do it to get people's hopes up it's like a morale booster mm, yeah yeah they're like this will make you feel better yeah no the 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 you know the light of flame of like the, the smoldering, like tiny end of the wick of like any hope of change has to remain lest, mm -hmm. you know, uh, XYZ redacted things occur. We enter yeah, the cool like... zone. <laughs> yeah, when I join the cabinet. Um, yeah, like it's the same thing as when they have uh, the articles that it's like, there's a woman in the cabinet or there's a black man in the cabinet or, or so on and so forth. And it's like, it's a morale boost. It's like a, a little bit of a jolt to kind of make you think maybe things are worth it and we should care now. Yeah. Or at the very least, it's something for the media to write about. Yeah. yeah so many international <laughs> yeah. publications are focusing on the gender balance again, because it is a 50-50 gender balance cabinet. But it was also mm -hmm. like that before, like that was his first cabinet was like that as well. So all these like Guardian articles being like, again, 50, 50 bounds. It's like, yeah, personally, cool. like I like women so much. I feel like it should be 51, 49, but so true. Know, I guess <laughs> that's the thing I'm mad right. about is that uh, we got a 50, 50 balance of men and women but like most of the cabinet is only from ontario and quebec which makes sense that's but because at least that's the only liberals that were elected <laughs> yeah and at least have someone from some like at least have someone from each province like they have zero people from uh, Sask uh saskatchewan they have zero people from the uh, uh northwest territories they have zero people from nunavut and they have zero people from the yukon but Again, like I don't were liberals elected in any of those places. I don't no, know if they just were. Get somebody out there, whatever. 
But you can't oh, unless pull they're a random liberal. Dude. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you. <laughs> Would you say you are a liberal? Would you like to? Oh, be I in like the this breakdown though that I see on a website, which uh, says there's eight visible minorities, one indigenous person, and three gay people. Fun. Mm. And honestly, yeah. like, I don't want to. I don't want to say that like it's you know not good to to have like all this representation like obviously it's better than having a cabinet full of old white men i'm, I'm not gonna like <laughs> obviously it's it's better yeah. it's just that you know uh, i feel like on this it's show we're sort of we're sort of um, not hopeful about the the ability of governments to do very much but you know yeah yeah are there any I, other highlights oh the only thing i was gonna say is the indigenous uh, member is dan vandal who became aware of his metis heritage later on in his life oh interesting mm. True. So that's I True. had nothing he, to he say. He uncovered the sacred tome. That <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting because I feel like the first like Trudeau's first cabinet had like three indigenous people on it, and now anyway, um, but he did you know like ruin the lives of a couple of them so you know that ought to do it i suppose that is true yeah so the conservatives had said that placing that uh, environmental activist as the minister has shown that trudeau is hostile to oil and gas which is the funniest like just talking point to yeah. use it all at this point because like you know buying a pipeline like actively supporting the oil and gas industry at all times you mm. know really hostile <laughs> hostile yeah, energy really... coming from him giving them a hard time yeah this is a quote. Uh, so Patty Hedju, who took on the health ministry just months before the pandemic hit, becomes Minister of Indigenous Services and the minister responsible for Federal Economic Development Agency for Northern Ontario. Uh, the Indigenous um, folder since 2015 has been split a number of times. So there's now like an Indigenous Services folder, which has like most of the budget and, you know, like actually doles out money. And then there's like Crown Indigenous Relations as another one. Um, oh, okay. So Hadju will work with the Liberals' reconciliation agenda with Mark Miller, who slides over to Crown Indigenous Relations. Their, this is another quote, their new appointments uh, come amid renewed calls for justice for residential school survivors and for the federal government to compensate First Nations children. Ottawa has until Friday, this is an old article, to determine whether it will appeal a decision by the federal court to uphold two Canadian human rights tribunal orders requiring Ottawa to pay out billions of dollars to Indigenous children. Um, so does anyone want to take a wild guess as to whether or not they appealed the decision that is making them pay a billion dollars to Indigenous children? <laughs> I feel like uh, it's cheating if I answer. So, Dean, <laughs> what do you think happened? Um, I imagine that the worst possible thing happened. Is that right? Uh, it is. They did appeal yeah. it. Uh, they don't want to pay the money. So they. Yeah. it's so funny. They appealed it, but like opened talks. And every article that you look up about it that's not from like APTN is literally like, Oh, the Trudeau liberals, you know, appealed this uh, decision that they have to pay out this money, but is always in the headline. And I'm like, mm -hmm, okay, mm -hmm. uh huh. Trudeau said that they're like, you know, not going to not pay. They just want to, you know, they have some concerns yeah. and they want to <laughs> chat it out first. Someone, some, some rad libs were like, it's because he thinks it's not enough money. <laughs> I'm no. sure. I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> I think that was my favorite yeah. take. Yeah, like, he wants yeah. to pay more. That makes sense. Yeah. So it was, um, it was forty thousand um, dollars to each child and their parents and grandparents that were involved post two thousand six. And I don't know. There was a lot of talk of it being in the Yukon. I don't know if it was the whole country or just the Yukon. But um, so, like, I I understand like you have faced a lot of trauma because what the federal uh, government did to you. But do you really think it's forty thousand dollars worth of trauma? Which it be honestly like isn't 30, that much maybe? money. It's like nothing. I would love forty thousand no. dollars, but like you can't you can't even like you can't get a house with that. It barely pays for like a degree of schooling. Like it's yeah. really not not that much money that that's yeah, like yeah. that's enough to produce like one episode of this podcast <laughs> <laughs> and have you ever looked into the the i don't know the estimates regarding uh trauma and reparations in any other instance like the people that actually look into this stuff it's like okay so yeah um the damage that you did to this nation uh economically as well as emotionally you owe them about three trillion dollars yeah <laughs> like it's always it uh, like an unfathomable amount of money like yeah. absolutely a, a, obscene amount of money that is owed and th this um, is why like talking about reparations like i'm 
I have nothing against them, but I think they're just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to of course. Uh, actually dealing with the myriad issues that indigenous people or, for example, uh, like, you know, African-Americans or like any, you know, disenfranchised person uh, in a country like you can, you know, give them X amount of dollars and say like, OK, we're even now. But that, you know, that's a band aid on a bullet hole. Yeah, yeah, but also give me that money. Yeah, no, I'm not. Again, I'm saying you need the money, <laughs> no, but know, you need exactly. so much more than that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah, and that's like part of what the people that were fighting for the payouts are fighting for broad justice in general. This is, by the way, I did remember what it was specifically. It's people that were involved in the child welfare system um, because they found that like indigenous children were given less funding in the child welfare system than non-indigenous children. Um, and they were like removed from their communities when they could have been kept in their communities with the proper amount of funding. Um, and so it, it did a lot of like lasting damage to a lot of people. And this was like they've been fighting about it since like 2006 and have not received any payments. So, yeah, pretty messed up. Um, mm -hmm. So Carolyn Bennett has moved over to mental health and addictions. Um, I asked Jesse for a funny joke regarding this issue. Um, and he came up with uh, Carolyn getting a case file about a distraught person on the brink of suicidal ideation and just responding with attention. <laughs> but um, famously, you know, after all the Jody Wilson-Raybould stuff came out, she just said uh, that Jody Wilson-Raybould wanted her pension. So cool. Yeah. Very uh, gross. There's a new folder created for emergency preparedness. Then a minister for intergovernmental affairs is now also responsible for infrastructure and communities. You know, just tossing a lot of word salad into a lot of these ministers' job titles, but that's cool. Yeah. Um, I also found that the minister of housing is also the minister for diversity and inclusion. Fun. Um, okay. I guess, right. you know, housing discrimination will definitely be covered in this. Little or binder. maybe we'll have a lot of like new diverse houses. Uh, oh, you could, you could live in a tiny home. You could live in yeah. a storage crate. You could live uh, in a big home. You could live uh, in a uh, I don't know converted jail. Uh, <laughs> you we could uh, dig a series of underground tunnels uh, that you could rent. Uh, there the possibilities are really endless. This is yeah, true. Every, everyone's going to get a long-term care home now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I don't want to live in the pod. Um, and I also wanted to just briefly focus. I found a, one funny bio. I didn't read all their bios, but now I'm feeling like I should have because the ones I did read, I was like, LOL. So this is for Mary, and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing the last name, but I think it's Ng. Um, so she is the Minister of International Trade, Export Promotion, Small Business, and Economic Development previously so titled international trade and small business yes previously <laughs> titled minister of small business export promotion and international trade this is now considered a new <laughs> portfolio insane. but it's like just they just changed the order which i'm kind of right. confused by but um it says that she has always believed in the power of public service and she has but she has 20 years of experience in the areas of women's leadership job creation and entrepreneurship which i just found very funny that you have 20 years of experience in job creation what does that even mean um, and just also in, then it lists out jobs <laughs> it lists where she's worked and it's been in like the ontario public service and at the Ontario Ministry of Education, and then at Ryerson. And I was like, yep. in what role were you job creating? Well, she's a job creator because uh, she, when she's at the park or just in a public spot, she doesn't uh, use the garbage can. She just puts her litter on the <laughs> ground, thereby creating jobs for the people who have to clean yeah, it up. Yeah, the, the people at uh, the movie theater, when they leave and they leave the popcorn on the ground, yeah, and they're just no. like, well, you know, someone's getting paid for that. So <laughs> That's right. You're um, doing your part. Job creator is also the uh, politician equivalent to influencer. Yeah, um, that is true. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, and like, yeah, I create jobs. You know, you might see me around sometimes. Yeah. It, it, it's a title that seems important and means absolutely nothing. Yeah, yeah. and anyone can say it. So, yeah, no shade to Mary. I just thought that was funny. Um, no shade I'm to sure Mary. She, Fuck I, you. I'm sure the small businesses are going to thrive. Um, so Dan Vandal 
is staying on as the Minister of Northern Affairs. Uh, and that was also, the Métis guy I was talking about. Oh, yes. Uh, and is also now getting uh, the Prairie Economic Development uh, Portfolio and the Canadian Northern Economic Development Agency, which at that point is just like most of the land mass of the country. <laughs> but, you know, he's got this. Go, Dan. Um so there is a women, gender equality, and youth portfolio. And then there's also a families, children, and social development portfolio. And those are two different people. And I was a little confused about what the difference between youth and children is. Unless one of them deals with like teens and the other one is for babies. But who knows? <laughs> Pascal saint Ong, I'm very bad with French names, I apologize, um, has been appointed Minister of Sport and Minister Responsible for Canada Economic Development for Quebec. Which I also thought was a funny combo. Just Quebec's development and sports. And sports. Yay. And then Trudeau said about dropping Marc Garneau, he wants to bring people forward who have served, giving new challenges to folks who haven't, and looking at the right balance of regional diversity experiences to deliver. Which isn't super grammatically correct, but that's okay. Um, I just took issue with calling cabinet ministers folks. Uh, I've been ranting about this to Dean lately, but people are using folks in every single context, including politicians and billionaires, who don't count as a folks, in yeah, my no. humble yeah, opinion. <laughs> you know what? You're right. You're right. Like, uh, uh, I, I think... Like, it, the word people is right there. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to gatekeep folks, which is considered, you know, one of the most approachable... Uh, and universal things that you can call anyone. It's also anyone. a Dean staple. That's true. I'm I'm a folks guy, but I feel like you need a certain amount of like salt of the earthedness to be yeah. a folks. You know, a a folk is a... about being common. Yeah, what if you heck? control the levers of power, you are no longer a folk. Exactly. A bit of a je ne sais quoi. You are what I like to call a demon from hell. <laughs> <laughs> You're an overlord. You don't call people folks. Yeah. Who are your folks? I also wanted to read Aaron O'Toole's response to this cabinet, which was just a funny sentence. Yeah, it's um, tool time. Uh, so he said <laughs> it is made up of largely inexperienced and ideological driven, ideologically driven yes. individuals. Yes, that's right. Um, today's changes to cabinet represent just another example of the prime minister continuing to reward ministers who have consistently demonstrated incompetence and a lack of accountability. <laughs> Very good. Yep. Uh, I, yeah. I, I All the liberals have ideology. I, I don't have any, though. I don't have yeah. ideology. I'm not driven by any not overall I, uh, like, you know, ideas or theories at all. I just sort of operate like a remora or like a shark. <laughs> Just like mindlessly piloting through life, which is yeah, the know, only moral you, way to operate. You know, the conservative cabinet would just be people that have no like. Yeah, they they don't have any affiliation whatsoever. Notions. They're just <laughs> operating purely by facts and logic. Yeah, yeah. but that's what yeah. kills me is yeah. the, the the spinning of the word ideas or like ideologically at all to be that like a conservative person is the norm and everyone else has an ideology, which is just so ridiculous. Well, but. no, but a liberal will turn around and do the same thing, right? Like there's conservative ideology, but That's we true. like, you know, the enlightened elite uh, are, are beyond ideology. Like this is a like Francis Fukuyama thing, like end of history. Like there, there's no longer any like battle of like the stadium of different ideas at all. It's just sort of business as usual. Uh, turns out yeah. that that's not true, but Anyway, are any yeah. closing thoughts on the cabinet or are there yet oh, more goons? Yes, I, I have my one last fun fact goon. Man OK, here. can I before you do your one last fun fact, can I talk yeah. about Mark Miller or unless you're talking? Oh, this about is Mark about Mark Miller. <laughs> <laughs> OK, let's do it. OK, so I got this from CTV, but it's a full quote from Mark Miller when he was given his position as uh, Crown Indigenous Relations. So, quote, this relationship started with land. The relationship has been broken because of land, land theft, and it's time to give land back. That's just the reality of it. It is easily said. It is more difficultly done. I think we've built a measure of trust that I think we, I can take into this department and start moving quickly on things that need one shouldn't have happened nice. in the t in the first place. And in order to fix them, need to move on. Sorry, need to move a whole heck of a lot quicker. So he literally said the words land back. He is yes. the cabinet minister for uh -huh. Crown Indigenous Relations. Um, he also said land back and then moved on to how quickly he's going to do this land back, which is just <laughs> absurd that like, what? No, he's obviously not going to do land back. Like, okay, 
fucking bet, Mark. Like, what's happening? Yeah. You know what? You know what? He saw um one of those like uh, indigenous TikTok biddies. <laughs> Not all of them are TikTok biddies, but he saw one of them that was also a biddy, like a like a big titty biddy goth TikTok indigenous GF that was mm-hmm. like, "Yo, land back, we're gonna burn this shit down." And he's like. Damn, I gotta. Maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe you're right on that one. Yeah, yeah. So I I would just like to say, uh, Mark, odds. Yeah, odds, Mark. I will shave your eyebrow. Yeah, I'm. I'm fucking. I'm. I'll bet that. Yeah, this is like a camp pact from 2011. We will be shaving the entirety of your eyebrows off if you don't do it. Can I? Can I tell you about Mark's background a little bit? Yeah, I know you're probably gonna cover it, but I just find it fascinating that on his Wikipedia there is a quote uh, that says they, uh, him and Justin Trudeau met in uh, and went to College Jean de Brebeuf. <laughs> whatever the fuck that is uh, in the 80s um, and they were a boyhood friend of Mr. Trudeau and one of Trudeau's oldest friends okay oh, so we can so really rely on them for wonder a how he got into politics experience. yeah true <laughs> yeah boys saying land back <laughs> Um, I did find a response in APTN. Um, this is from a Brett Forrester article, and they interviewed Veldin Coburn, assistant professor at the University of Ottawa and member of the Algonquins of Pickwaknagon, um, who says, I'm deeply skeptical when this particular government takes a hold of slogans that have originated from grassroots indigenous yes. movements, which is so true. Especially like- <laughs> a young one. You like, can't, like, yeah. Landback was like teenagers, and everyone else was like, "Yo, you guys are right. Like, we need to make this a thing." And that's oh, what that should be bad. happening. But like, y- you know that it's like they're they're not meaning anything if they're saying this in a cabinet posting, like from a government who's n- not even remotely close to any sort of reconciliation, like let alone yeah. land yeah. back. Like, like they're, what? They're gonna call the appeal process to not fund the indigenous, uh, like residential school children. They're gonna call it like the land back proposal and be like, "See, we did it. We gave you <laughs> land back." That, yeah. That's also, exactly this right. man was involved in that decision like it's been it was this yeah, week he's a fucking crook, and he was man. the cabinet minister this week so then he's already decided that they were going to appeal that process and he said some comment when they did it saying i know the optics are terrible it's like a like it makes me feel so horrible i don't want it to look like this but it's not what it looks like we're gonna yeah, open man. talks and it's like shut the fuck up. The number one anyway. thing that he's worried about right now is optics yeah uh, i think yeah so, don't want it to look bad i think this this uh uh is a good parallel to uh what's been happening in america like uh just briefly there's a gubernatorial race in virginia with which the republican won uh and a lot of dems are spiraling because of it because it's not looking good for the midterm uh but uh a lot of people have attributed this win specifically to uh critical race theory uh which (laughs) uh oh yeah (laughs) which like you can draw a parallel because like critical race theory uh you know is sort of like uh, a liberal academic talking point that the right took and ran with and like spun into uh you know their own boogeyman about like you know making your white white children hate themselves for being white and you know like mm-hmm. scared people into you know trying to bring a gun to their uh you know parent teacher meetings or whatever um but uh you can see like that parallel of like you know a liberal idea being taken and spun by conservative for their own political ends. Uh, It happens from leftists and uh, indigenous groups to liberals. Like here's this phrase land back that means a particular thing and is used in a particular way to forward a specific idea and liberals take it and then spin it and like, you know, whitewash it and like, you know, drain it of all its blood uh, and all of that, its fervor Mm -hmm. and actual meaning and turn it into a slogan that they can deploy uh, whenever they need to. Like, Black Lives Matter, that that exact thing happened to that slogan uh, after George Floyd, uh, with, like, Liz, yeah. Liz Warren and people being like, oh, yeah, Black Lives Matter, without, again, doing anything but kneeling in Kunte Klopp, you know? Yeah, and, like, Nancy Pelosi being like, we should be out in the streets, and it's yeah. like, shut the you fuck up. You are in Congress! Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, interesting parallel. But uh, any, any clothing, uh, closing thoughts? Yeah, just like, I don't know, all these, like a lot of these speeches and people are saying they're going to do these really progressive things. And we do really, truly need these progressive things to happen if we want to, like, you know, further any sort of justice or save the planet from complete destruction. Uh, We do need to give the land back and, you know, 
save the planet. So like, you know, uh, maybe they'll do it. I just, that's also what we've been saying for the past like 10 years of this government and they haven't done it. So mm-hmm. it'll be, yeah, you know, it's, it's the same old song and dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, speaking of the same old song and dance, it's uh, provincial election times, baby. <sighs> Is it? When's the election? I don't tomorrow. know. Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not tomorrow. I don't is know it when it next is. Next year? It, it's coming up. And um, so our good boy, Dougie Ford, is pulling out all the stops. And he had one trick up his sleeve that, um, you know, a lot of people were like, he can't do that. That's too risky. You know, this is the biggest move ever made by a politician in Ontario. And what he did was raise the minimum wage by like 45 cents. Yeah. yeah after he stopped that exact yeah. raise from happening, like, what was it, like five years ago yeah. now or and, something? And by this point, like, inflation has well passed what it, he's raised it to. But e- oh, even, scary. Like, even considering how minuscule and how, like, petulant and stupid and petty this is to do, mark my fucking words. I swear to God, closer to the election. We are going to see at least one uh, op-ed talking about Doug Ford doing this and maybe some other job policy thing makes him a socialist. I swear to God, I swear to God, it's going to happen. Thankfully, the media right now is actually doing a very good job mitigating this. Of course, the the media has never really been a huge fan of the Fords Mm -hmm. uh, for many reasons. Like if you look into their backstories at all, um, you find this tangled web. No, there's no skeletons in their closet. (laughs) <laughs> of of corruption and their connections are all fucked up right and so you know that gives journalists a lot of fodder to work with and to point out um and so what they did with this is thankfully you know doug ford comes out says mark my words by january 1st i'm abolishing servers wage and minimum wage is going to be 15 dollars an hour so everybody across the board is getting $15 an hour, except for students. Um, they're getting a tax or they're getting an increase in their wage still, though. But uh, everybody's getting $15 an hour. And then the media takes that. And thankfully, um, instead of being like, hey, 15 an hour, they were like, what the fuck is Doug Ford doing? And people v- were very quick to point out the fact that a provincial election is coming up. Mm-hmm. So it's a good talking point for him. Uh, and also that they pointed out that nobody's happy about this. Um, you know, businesses aren't happy because they're stupid and, and fucking scum leeches that are like, I can't afford this and we're going to go out of business because I have to pay 55 cents more an hour. Uh, and they all look like fucking psychopaths. And then workers aren't happy about this because $15 an hour was less than living wage when it was proposed back in 2018. Yeah. Like, it it was supposed to... So minimum wage, if you're unaware, was supposed to reach $15 an hour by 2018. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was Kathleen Wynne's proposal under the Liberal uh, Ontario government. And... As soon as Doug Ford went into office, he completely repealed that and scrapped it from the table. And for two years, there was a freeze on minimum wage increase. And then he increased it in 2020 by 1.8%, uh, up 25 cents to 14.25 an hour. And then this year, he increased it by 0.7%, uh, up 10 cents to 14.35 an hour. And then... Uh, but when he repealed the bill, he said that Kathleen Wynne's $15 an hour minimum wage was a job killer and would destroy our economy. Now he's like, people need the recovery money. Ugh. And as if $15 an hour is fucking recovery money. Okay, people so need to sorry, recover from a global pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like he's, he's talking about how, you know, uh, people need the extra 55 cents in order to catch up with both inflation and the fact that people have been out of work during the pandemic. Um, But again, the the, the $15 an hour was supposed to be in 2018. Our inflation rate has just been fucked because of this pandemic. But also before that, it was on like a ridiculous trajectory. Also, not to give Kathleen Wynne any credit because $15 an hour was actually originally proposed way back in 2013 
as a possible living wage. So mm. really, it's about six years too late, seven years too late. And it wasn't even necessarily a living wage then because even before that, people were still skeptical saying 15 wasn't enough and that it would just be the bare minimum that the Ontario government would get by with. Yeah. So we're sitting here, you know, six years later after somebody was like, this is a reasonable ask, um, you know, that gaining traction. And now we finally have that as our minimum wage, as there's 10.6% of people having a minimum wage income uh, after a pandemic. And then the Ford government is like, you know what? This is uh, the reason why I did this is because I know frontline workers have been having a really hard time. So I really wanted to give them like that bonus that they deserve. Oh, my God. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Whereas like that. Absolutely absurd. Pandemic bonus was supposed to be like four extra dollars an hour or something. And he only had that in for like a couple months and then took it away. So he knows what more of a bonus feels like. But also like even honestly, like every job i take now like i i would feel very sad if it was like paid under 17 which like it's 17 dollars an hour is not even very much money no. especially for living in like a city in canada you're just screwed like that's nowhere yeah, yeah. near enough money and then it's like the fact that you know an employer can give you like 16 17 an hour and be like aren't i so lovely and it's like mm. Yeah, yeah, not that much. You you should feel thankful for that, even though in fucking well in living wage is twenty four. Yeah, yeah, and and then you have like small business owners saying that their company is gonna fall apart or whatever, and that's okay. Like, I don't care about you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but also it's like your your business fucking sucks then. If you could only do it when you were paying people below the poverty line. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is yeah, that? What, what like, is, don't like, have employees. Especially, like, small businesses pride themselves as, like, being part of the community uh, and, like, you know, fostering this sort of, this sense of pride and, like, camaraderie and togetherness. Uh, but are you really, like, how great a part of the community are you if, you know, the X number of people who work for you survive on ramen and, like, are afraid uh, at the first of every month? Yeah. yeah. So so the guy from uh, Restaurants Canada, he's the vice president, James Roulette, uh, was saying that he's just getting tired of getting these major policy decisions foisted on him with no discussion and very little implementation time. Funny thing, because we've been talking about this for almost a fucking decade. And it's also so like, like 75 cents n- difference, like if that right now. Also, so. Yeah, it's not anything like it is. Obviously, we're being a bit, uh, you know, hyperbolic in talking about this. But at the same time, man, like if this is breaking your bank, come on, uh, your business fucking sucks. And then he says, I hear the premier when he says the cost of living has gone up. That is not just being felt among people. That is being felt among businesses. What's funny, you dumb piece of shit, is that you don't have to pay people minimum wage. The reason why they put that cap on it is because you fuckers would pay people less. Yeah. If you could, you Mm -hmm. psychopath. So don't talk about your rent. Like, I don't care about your business's rent. You had enough money to start a business. You even, regardless of how much capital you had, you had enough credit to get a loan to start a business, something that so many people don't have. And you're you're equating your rent prices for your restaurant with people making less than $15 an hour that have to pay for their family and their house and their fucking whatever. Yeah. Also, like, isn't this year, like, small businesses have been getting 75% of their employee salary covered by yeah, the government anyway? they've been getting anyway. subsidies. <laughs> so, it's I feel like psychopathic it's... to think that like they're talking about as if they're the victims in this when in reality the victims are the workers that aren't getting the proper wage that they deserve after all of this time of trying to negotiate who should be getting closer to like uh, what does it say here the ontario living wage network says a living wage in toronto is 22 dollars i would imagine Um, it's even more than that honestly that's well that's living wage that's getting by yeah that's That's not no no accessories Mm. yeah that's literally above the poverty line you know yeah. It's not financial stability is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that I haven't been checking like very much social media or anything about this. I'm hoping that not that many small business owners are like complaining about this too much because it is such as like it is a pretty small raise and they've been getting their yeah. wages covered. 
So I, I hope yeah. that like whichever article, whichever news source this is from really had to dig to find someone. But also if they really <laughs> had to dig to find a small business owner just to say that they're mad, like fucking come on. Like, also, why are we asking they, them? <laughs> none of the people that they interviewed are actually small business owners and all of them are using the small business owner rhetoric. Uh, they talked to Larry Isaacs, who's the president of the Firkin Group of Pubs. Uh, if you what? look that's into that, that's a massive like a company. Multi- yeah, That's yeah. Huge. And then we have Restaurants Canada vice president is talking about small business owners and how these things happen. And then uh, who else do we have? We have the Canadian Federation of Independent Be- Businesses uh, regional director uh, was saying that he was completely surprised by the the uh, news. It's like these are they're, not, yeah, they're not small even businesses. small business owners. And even the last one is just like a rep. So they didn't actually ask. Who's going to stick up for the oft-forgotten, uh, you know, the they sort of fly under the radar. You definitely, it's not the first small business you think of. Uh, it's definitely not the loudest and bitchiest and whiniest, uh, you know, managers you'll ever find, which is restaurants. You know, we're never... Yeah, in, restaurants, like, the most hard yeah, done by. In this country, you know, we famously, we're not fat little piggies who love our treats. Uh, and as yeah. such, restaurants are, you know, forgotten most of the time. <laughs> it's uh, it just it hurts. Like uh, Roulette says, it's complex and it takes time and it just won't be done in two months between now and January 1st when the minimum wage changes. I don't think it's that complex. I would like to disagree. It's with not. Him. I think uh, it's the matter of, you know, putting that dollar sign up on the checks. Thank you. Yeah, that's about it. Like, I, you know what? I'll be happy if businesses go because they can't afford this. Because that means fucking less people have to work yeah. for your shitty ass Fewer business. businesses. We have too many. Get rid of them. Yeah, <laughs> bye bye. I, it. Nationalize Firkin Pub. That's Let's right. Go. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I agree, Meg. <laughs> we really I, should. I did go to one, like, for dinner on Friday, and I ate a potato burger. Uh, do not order that. It was not you, tasty. You crossed, you crossed the picket line. Uh, well, I didn't know there was one until now, but it was like the vegetarian burger was literally made of a potato. Tasted like mashed potatoes between two buns. It was very unfortunate. Oh, it was also twenty four dollars. These um, are the people that are complaining. And then I got one <laughs> beer, and it was twelve dollars after tax. It was Ooh, a very sad experience. It. it was quite sad. I left it. I was like, I like that hurt food... my soul a little bit. Dean was like, expensive food that sucks. I sleep. Yeah. Expensive beer. <laughs> Real shit. Real shit. Yeah. It would be a shame if someone did an Ozymandias style, uh, you know, space attack uh, on Toronto. That would I would be so sad if that happened. Yeah. Oh, no. My poor Toronto. Yeah. Um, Dean. Do you have yes. any news? Let me close this out uh, with, get us I haven't done one in so long. I'm so excited. Uh, a, another uh, national, actually, this is the Globe and Mail uh, reading series. Uh, I have an article yeah. here. Uh, again, uh, in line with what you were talking about, Chance. Uh, this is an article called The Problem with the Right to Disconnect from Work. Um, mm. So oh, no. this was. What? People have a problem There's with a that? problem, I'll tell you. But first. Oh, Dean, I hate. I don't know. Sorry, Dean, you're cursed. You're fucking cursed. I don't know how you find these, and I hate every single one you bring up. I, remember, I, I still, in the back of my head, remember you telling me about the guy talking about how libraries are bad God. because uh, fucking Amazon can't make enough money <laughs> off of it. I fucking yeah. I can't no, stand it's, it's, these it's people. It's pretty toxic stuff. Uh, I found there was also a Rex Murphy article uh, this week, which was pretty bad, but it was actually, it was so like, self self-assured and smarmy and sarcastic that even i couldn't stomach it uh who is easily the most the smarmiest and most sarcastic of our of our foursome here but uh yeah mm-hmm. no the rex murphy won in the national post maybe i'll, I'll pull that out later but it, it was truly degenerate uh this one is a little more palatable uh which is saying something uh so let's introduce our players uh or player i should say ashley nunez uh ashley mm-hmm. is a man sus already um yeah damn you're bullying well fuck this guy he's a he's a complete <laughs> monster i will uh, <laughs> allow me to elaborate uh so uh he is a director for, for competition policy at the r street institute and a research fellow at harvard law 
Uh, so R Street uh, is this American think tank, sort of standard libertarian mm. free market stuff. Although they did take a subsidy yeah. for COVID, which is pretty funny. Um, yeah, it's it's uh it's spooky this website for our street. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty haunting stuff. Their big thing, like the thing that they're known for, uh, is they release this annual state by state report on uh insurance in America. Uh and they basically lay mm. out which states have the fewest regulations on insurance companies, so you can plan accordingly <laughs> with your investing. Oh uh God. which is Probably like the most boring and banal way to be completely evil. Uh, (laughs) That's true. But their inception is the funniest part about them. Uh, So these guys are a splinter group off of the Heartland Institute, which you might be aware of. Uh, Mm -hmm. So this was uh, a a think tank founded by Philip Morris, the tobacco company uh, that was specifically designed uh, to discredit cancer research and to lobby against smoking bans. Now they've sort of pivoted <laughs> to uh, anti-climate change, like climate denial stuff. And this splinter group, R Street, which we're looking at today, they formed after uh, a 2012 incident where the Heartland Institute launched a digital billboard ad uh, in Chicago featuring a photo of Ted Kaczynski, off to a great start, uh-huh. uh, asking okay. the question, quote, I still my believe boy. in global warming. Do you? Oh, my God. <laughs> the Institute wow, plans for the campaign to feature cult leader Charles Manson, communist uh-huh. leader Fidel Castro, and Osama bin okay. Laden asking the same question, uh, with the idea okay. being uh, the most prominent advocates of global warming aren't scientists. They are murderers, tyrants, and madmen. <laughs> Take an average person. Yeah. Are they going to uh-huh. know by seeing a photo of Ted Kaczynski who that is? I, th- I highly if doubt friends, it. Yeah, if, if, or maybe if they're like older fucking... and remember the news cycles really clearly. I think but, like, so. I think this I was targeted towards millennials... like 30 and 40 year olds at the time. Yeah. It was, I guess It was so. targeted towards me. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> I see the they, billboard and I'm like yeah, They faced a lot I'm of criticism for that. this. They took down the billboard. Uh, they didn't put up any more. And then all of the DC goons that were part of the Heartland Institute got really scared. They wanted to wash their hands of this because like people were going to laugh at them at their like $700 dinner parties. Uh, and as such, our street was born, which our friend Ashley Nunez is a proud part of. Uh, so for both our street and Harvard, he uh, talks about and teaches behavioral economics uh, and he mm. leads yeah. research into labor and work life programs. Uh, other research investigations by Ashley include identifying the cost-efficient policy levers that incentivize behavioral change. That doesn't sound insidious at all. Uh, <laughs> and, Not even a little bit. And assessing the efficacy of mandatory retirement ages. <laughs> oh, sad. What the fuck? Yeah. It's just, it doesn't work, folks. Like, Here's the thing. If you make people retire at a certain time, that means that they can't they work anymore. Yeah. And that's not yeah, efficient. That's true. But anyway. Damn. So th- if the 90-year-old is slow at the job, they're still doing <laughs> that's the job. That's right. They're, so there you go. better than nothing. So anyway, what is the problem with the right to disconnect from work? Uh, the article starts off, uh, quote, if leadership, as the author Tim S- uh, Smith wrote, is the ability to facilitate movement uh, in the needed direction, and have people feel good about it, that could spell trouble for leaders in Ontario. I want you to hold this thought in your head, because he never brings okay. up leadership again in the article. Does he bring up Ontario <laughs> again? Uh, he does. He moves on to talk about uh, how Dougie uh, has in- unveiled plans to do right to disconnect, how both liberals and NDP in Ontario are in favor of this. Um, basically, the law would require executives at companies with 25 or more employees uh, to have policies that delineate, delineate like a work-life balance and a clear separation mm. of the two, um, mm-hmm. such mm-hmm. as, you know, uh, expectations about responses to emails, encouraging uh, employees to have like out-of-office notifications, stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So everyone agrees. Everyone in parliament agrees about this. Uh, seems fine. What's the issue? He goes on to say, like, oh, like, this is actually a really popular idea. Two decades ago, like, France uh, at, like, a federal level instated uh, even harsher policies than what we're talking about here. The Irish, the Spanish, even the Slovaks uh, have done this. Uh, So, wow, okay, like, you know, Canada, like, you know, stepping up to to the plate for 
uh, workers' rights as uh, they do in the European Union. Seems pretty good. Um, mm -hmm. So again, what's the problem? Well, the problem is uh, everyone in Parliament agrees, but the workers don't agree. No one, no one thought to ask the workers, but they thought about this. Were, did I, did you guys get asked? Ooh. I didn't get a memo this is, on this. This I is the 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 whole like I consent, I consent. Is there someone you forgot <laughs> yeah. to ask? And it's CEOs. <laughs> No, no, it's not CEOs. It's workers. Workers mm. are the it's ones the who weren't asked about this. So they 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 weren't asked, and then the guy writing the article also didn't ask, but he he assumes that they wouldn't like. Well, yeah, no, he he knows what we're thinking. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, he's on our and side, and he's gonna walk us through it. Uh, so he has a little bit where he says like, "Oh, disconnecting from work is good." Yet. <laughs> <laughs> yet but... there is v uh -huh. and remember before i read you this next sentence please remember that this man teaches at harvard are you ready okay yet yeah I'm while ready. there's value in disconnecting from work there is also value in working oh that's oh. a hot take okay tell this me more this never, man's a brain I never, genius i think i never really thought about yeah. that yeah motivated workers take pride in crafting unique products Building brands oh. that people love and ensuring oh. that services, yeah. uh, service post purchase is flawless. And they True. do they have to do that, that at one thirty three in the morning, or it doesn't count. <laughs> or it doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> if they do it, like you know, in the nine to five bubble, it's basically like they don't give a shit. Yeah, they're so. they're not yeah, doing it because they, they it love outside. it. They're just doing it because we <laughs> ask them to. <laughs> yeah, because we pay you as if it's a job. Yeah, but like his problem is. All of the, like there are ideas like to transform global markets to like uh, have this innovation and creativity that is required in like our current economic system. In order for all of that to work, uh, you need these great ideas, but you can't just generate an idea on command. Uh, they can't be served oh, at a moment's so nerve. Right. Uh, <laughs> they are not always delivered between nine and five. Uh, and uh -huh. such is the issue, right? Uh, if we're depriving skilled professionals of yeah. these practices of, you know, taking a break, going for a walk and coming up with a great idea or like waking up in the middle of the night and like figuring out uh, how to uh, make post-purchase service flawless, then, you know, we're, we're depriving them of the ability to work to their full potential of their, you know, creative values. And Normal people do mm -hmm. that. They do wake up and say, I could alter this section of the supply chain very efficiently. <laughs> That's right. And they have to scribble it down in a notebook. But I feel like this man is arguing not only should they not be scribbling it down in a notebook, they, they should be like emailing it to all of their coworkers and getting an immediate response about their idea at two in the yeah, morning. Which, which needs I'm sure to be implemented. It's a really good idea. Yeah. yeah. I feel like this guy has, for some reason somehow he skirted by in his lifetime without having a boss that demands a lot from you off the clock and yeah. he's acting as if like all of these things are just like if you have a thought about work shouldn't you act upon it it's like that's not what this is about you psycho. well yeah I, th I think he's coming like from a specific again like as a harvard guy from a specific strain of psycho uh where you know work is life uh, and mm. like the w the only thing that like gets his rocks off uh, and like makes him feel like he doesn't want to put a bullet in his fucking head uh, is the idea that he's better and smarter than other people. Uh, yeah, he's all about that grind yeah, set. Yeah, which is to say demented. Uh, but here, here's here's a, a good sentence. He continues on after, you know, saying that we're, we're de by having these, uh, you know, government enforced mandates. Uh, we are depriving workers of their ability to create value. Um, quote, if workers believe that taking some time off during the workday helps productivity, it does. And that this practice does not n negatively affect others. It doesn't. Our laws should support that. Buddy, our laws mm -hmm. do. They're called breaks. They are mandated by law. <laughs> this idea so, that like, oh, like, yeah, well, we everyone has to work nine to five and then you're done. It's ridiculous. That's not how people work. You're right. That's why we have a lunch break and smoke breaks. Yeah. 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 So is this he's saying that we shouldn't have like times of work at all? He he advocates for like, you know, that whole getting a certain amount done rather than working certain hours. And that should happen whenever you feel like it, because like. Some companies do that. And even if that was the method you preferred 
and like even if the majority of people in your company agreed with you that that was like how they wanted to organize themselves they shouldn't have to like respond to you when you are feeling like you're having to work i feel like that is part of it too because like if you are saying that like people should be able to work whenever they want like okay sure but that should still be that like your other coworkers get to have time off when they want to have their time off and like shouldn't be bothered outside of work like you shouldn't ever be expected to be on at all times for like the opinions and meetings of other people you know right, yeah right. and like you know that those are good points and that like raises like interesting ideas about like sort of the nature of how like we've shaped our society and our, our working society mm -hmm. around the nine to five uh and like like these ideas of like oh like alternate methods of like how people can work and when people can work and like is like you know there's so many studies that show like people work like maybe three mm -hmm. hours of the eight hour workday right like they're <laughs> like in order like if we're actually thinking about boosting productivity maybe we should have a six hour or work a four day, day uh, with a, work a siesta in the middle or a four-day yeah. work week, exactly, or both, uh, which are all things that uh, people uh, definitely deserve uh, and are not with outside the realm of possibility. And like, there's so many like interesting avenues you can take thinking about how to restructure the hours in which we work, and you know how how those things are are quantified and and valued. He doesn't ask mm. any of those questions. He just circles back again and again to. Uh, if the government is allowed to dictate when you work, that means that you can't do exactly what you might want oh, to do God. and that you won't have a good yeah. idea. Yeah, his, his uh, I have the article pulled up here and his solution is like, what does he say here? Workers aren't paid to toil from dawn till dusk. They're paid to get stuff done. It would be nice if stuff got done between nine to five. But that's seldom ever the case. Right. So <laughs> our laws and our work structures should reflect this reality. Exactly. But like he, he doesn't stress or even mention like, OK, like they're paid to get stuff done. Uh, but no, they're not. They're paid on the nine to five. They're paid for the I hours that they work. I feel like this is work. also a big difference between <laughs> generally salary people and wage like people. Because salary people are paid more oh, yeah. along the lines of the stuff they get done. But in the majority of cases for salaries, too, they're expected to work certain hours. But if you're wage laboring yeah. and they're and, just like, oh, you know, mm. like it's, you're a barista, you know, you need to just make some coffees for people today. I hope you make some really good, inspiring coffees, like come in when you feel like it. <laughs> like, yeah. like, OK. Well, no, yeah. like this guy is incapable of even considering that work. Right. Like he's like he can only think in terms of like white collar, like Harvard grad, go to a law office, go to your like, you know, your professorial lecture or what have you. And like think about the thing that you're working on all the time. And of course, I hate all of these people and I have no respect for them. Uh, but uh, I can empathize with this, uh, you know, uh, taking your work home and thinking about it constantly. Uh, and like these, these are the sort of things that like school uh, an undergrad primes you for right it's like never mm. being able to turn off like oh i could be reading mm -hmm. this or i could be writing that uh and just like always always like feeling guilty about not doing work outside of you know your average class time and that extends you know you take that mentality with you to the workplace and especially like this startup culture is where it's like oh we're a family like why wouldn't you want to work 15 hours a week so we can you know figure out how to you know, perfectly calibrate these you drones mean hours to target Yemeni children, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, right, yes. But yeah, again, classic, you know, liber libertarian pablum. Generating value is inherently good. You Generating value for your boss on your own time is a good thing because you're making the world a better place. Uh, you know, don't, don't even mention, don't even begin to think mm. about being compensated for that. Uh, that's sort of antithetical to this guy's whole philosophy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's psycho because you can still do literally all of the things that he says you can, except you would just get paid to do it instead. Yeah. Like if you wanted to do things outside of work, you could clock those hours. Exactly. Because you have the right to disconnect. So if you're asked to do things, you can put those on the And clock. I don't even necessarily have a problem with like, you know, like you're on a walk on a Saturday morning and you have a good idea. Like it's just, OK, cool. But you do, you don't have to work on that Saturday. Just write yeah. that shit down. Forget about it till Monday. You know, 
Yeah. But like and like Ford's big scary uh you know like oh this this government regulation stopping you from doing the best work possible does not touch that at all. Like the, the his entire thesis of like oh these good ideas that people have will be quashed. Yeah. No they won't. People are still going to think. Yeah. But yeah. So anyway, bad take. Boo him. Yeah. So bad take. Yeah. Ashley you, consider Ashley. getting a a boy's name. <laughs> Uh, that might help you out. Maybe you'll be less of a, a bitter little cretin. <laughs> Thank right. you for listening, and we'll see you next week. And bye bye. Papa bless.